Matthew 1, verse 1, I'm reading out the New Living Translation, says this. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your spirit, Lord. We thank you for your your wonderful presence in here tonight, Lord. We just ask if we, as we get into your word, uh, that you just continue to, to open us up to or to not only learn about you, but to, to learn who you are. That we don't, we, don't, we don't strive to only know about you and get head knowledge tonight, but we learn to know you, to be more intimate with you. Lord, I, I, I know we, we, we desire, Lord God, to understand the Bible, but, but be more than that, and I know your desire for us is to know you and to walk with you. I pray tonight as we spend this time, we would have a greater understanding of who you are and that we would know you personally and walk with you. Holy Spirit, help me to present your word. I pray a fresh of your anointing upon me and upon all those hearing and the grace to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you're probably thinking, Brandon, why did you just read all of those names? I'm not just here to, uh, just to give a history lesson tonight, although I do love history. How many of y'all, some other history busts in here? Let me see your hand. If you like history, okay. I love history. The rest of y'all like my wife. When I watch some kind of documentary on history on TV, my wife is like, boring. Why are you watching this? And she's like snoozing or want to go do something else. But I didn't just simply give it for a history lesson. As in reading this genealogy, the first part of the genealogy of Jesus, there's a few names that pop out at me. One in particular, and that's Rahab. Now, if you're in Joshua chapter 2, I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 2. A lot of y'all may be familiar with who this lady Rahab is, but I'm not going to assume different people are here, different walks of life. You may be a new Christian. You may be haven't read a lot of the Old Testament. So I just I want, I want to jump into Joshua chapter 2. And we're going to read one verse, and then I'm going to read a good chunk of Joshua 2 after that. I'm going to just set it up real quick. If you're not in Joshua 2 yet, give you a few minutes. The Israelites were about to enter the promised land. Moses had just died, and God uh, uh, anointed Joshua to be the leader of the Israelites. And they were about to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, that God had promised them to, to take it over. To take it over, run out all the other people, conquer it, and that would be the promised land. Uh, of, of the Israelites. So in Joshua chapter, chapter 2 and verse 1, it says this, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now let me tell you a little bit about this prostitute Rahab, and I never really considered this until today more as I was studying this. Um, Rahab might have been an innkeeper as well as a prostitute. Other documents from the Old Testament era record women innkeepers were also prostitutes. 
This would make it a reasonable destination for Joshua's scouts to be there. You might wonder, well, why did these men of God go to a prostitute's house? It looks like from history that she was an innkeeper as well. So she went there. It also would conceal them to not look, you know, that they would be out of sorts trying to scout out the land. As a Canaanite woman, Rahab would have practiced the fertility coat of Baal which was the god of storm and rain, and also in, in the myth was the, that he, she, he was the husband of Ashtoreth, which was the uh, mother earth goddess. And if you read through the Old Testament, you see the Ashtoreth pole, and there was another pagan god that the Israelites would stumble and, and, and worship sometimes. So why is a pagan prostitute mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. It's because of two words that I've entitled this message tonight, and that's radical redemption. Because of radical redemption, we see a pagan prostitute that was worshiping false gods and obviously was a prostitute listed in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading the story to find out how this happened, how this unfolded. So we see the two spies went, stayed with at... at, at um, Rahab's house that night, uh, and I just, so I'm already going to read quite a few scriptures, uh, quite a few verses of this story, so just shorten it to summarize it. The king of Jericho found out that the spies were there, so he said, hey, send some people out to Rahab's out and tell Rahab to bring out these spies from Israel. When they went, Rahab said, hey, yeah, they were here, but they took off. Rahab actually hid them uh, to keep them safe so they wouldn't get caught. And so we'll pick up the story in Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, and it says this. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you the land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people were completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God, listen to this, for the Lord your God is, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. We... So the spies say, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by an oath. We have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into your land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If you go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if you, if, but if anyone lays a hand, On people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for your death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. 
I know I read a lot there, but I want to give you, if you've never read that story, the scope of what happened here, and which we'll see later, but fast forward a few chapters. Uh, we know, if you haven't, you know the story of Jericho, where children of Israel marched around uh, every day. Uh, on the seventh day, marched around seven times. They shouted, the walls came down, and they entered in and took over Jericho. And we'll see how they did keep their promise later on. There are some great types and shadows, or another word is examples, from this story. That I want to look at tonight. And before we go any further, I want to read another scripture just to lay a foundation. And you hear me reference this a lot uh, just because I don't want you to think that I'm like reaching when I'm teaching from a New Testament story. And it's this scripture. I'm going to read parts of it in two different translations. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 says this. I don't want you to forget. He's, he's talking uh, to the believers and he's talking about uh, the past. He said, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. He's talking about the Israelites long ago. So that's the Old Testament stories that we read today. Now look at 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 in the New King James. It says, all of these things happened to them as examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So do you see that? He says all these things, these stories that we read in the Old Testament about the Israelites are examples. Other translations say their types are shadows. Uh, and, and, and if you follow or have taken any Bible college courses, uh, uh, you know, Bible college scholars will tell you that. These are types and shadows, and it comes from this scripture. Does everybody see that? Are you all tracking with me? Do you see what I'm saying? So we can see types and shadows through Old Testament stories. And he says it's for example in our admonition. And the word admonition means counsel, advice, or caution. So these stories, we can look at these stories and we can get counsel and advice uh, from in what happened to them in the natural in our modern day walk with the Lord uh, in our lives as well. Amen? Y'all tracking with me? So let's look at Rahab's life in the light of what Christ has done for us. I want to show a few things. First, she put her faith in the spy's word, believing that they would come back to save her. They, she put her faith in the spy's word, believing she'd come back, they'd come back to save her. Joshua 2.21 says, listen to this. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet robe hanging from the window. Her family was in danger of being destroyed. Her and her whole family, because the whole town got flat. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this as me and Pastor Kelly was talking today. We were talking about Jericho. Pastor Kelly's been there. He mentioned that a couple weeks ago. He's seen it. It's still a, a rubble today, right, Pastor Kelly? He said it looks like God put his, his, his foot down on the walls of Jericho and just flattened it. And it's still just desolate, as the Bible said it would remain. So every, everyone in that, that, that city was destroyed except for Rahab and her family. So she was going to be destroyed. But she knew these men said, listen, we will save you. And she took them out of her word. She, he, she had faith. She believed them that they would save her and come back and get her. This is, this is a great example and a great picture of how we must put our faith in Jesus' words that he will save us and that he will come back to get us one day. Amen? It's a great picture. So she had to put her faith in these spies to save her life. And that they would come back and get her. The second thing we see is that she had to hang a scarlet rope out of the window as a sign. This is a beautiful picture of the blood of Jesus. We're saved from the scarlet blood that ran down the cross on Calvary. 
Many scholars will confirm that there's a lot of, uh, I, I, matter of fact, I heard one of the presbyters teaching this years ago is the first one that pointed that out, that that scarlet rope that was hanging out is a good symbol. She was saved because of that red rope hanging out as a symbol. They remembered the promise to her that we're going to come back and get you. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us, church. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we're saved. That rich royal blood, just as the rope ran down the side of that wall, the blood ran down that rugged cross on Calvary. That saves us. And just as we did tonight, not even knowing that they were going to sing this, and I just was already stirred up by studying this. But the third thing we see is that she made declarations of faith even before she was saved. She made declarations of faith. Look, Joshua 2.11. There's a few other ones, but I just picked this one out. I think this is, the, for time's sake, the most powerful one. It says, for the Lord God. She said this. Rahab said, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. We must make these same kinds of declarations of faith over our lives, even in the toughest times. Listen, Rahab was in a tough spot. She, if, if these spies didn't keep their word, she was going to die, her and her family like everybody else. But you know what? She made a declaration of faith. And this is the key. This is this was what's powerful. This is what I thought about as I was studying this. You got to remember, she wasn't even serving the Lord at this time. She was most probably a pagan because she was a Canaanite living in a Canaanite city of Jericho. And she was a prostitute. She was living as a prostitute, the Bible records, so we can see. But what happens if you read the story, and we, well, we, we just read it, they were hearing about how the Israelites were starting to conquer all this land. She heard about the story of the Red Sea. See, all these towns were hearing. They knew the account of, of the Egyptians chasing the Israelites and how God parted the Red Sea for all the Israelites to go through. When she heard that, she's like, I ain't never heard Baal or Astrith do anything like that. But she heard the God of Israel parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel. So what she says, she makes a declaration of faith. She put all of her trust in these two men of, of, of a foreign God she, she didn't know personally but heard of and said, you know what, I know that your God, I love this, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So listen, we talk about the rock don't move. You know, that there's all kind of crazy stuff that happens in our lives. Tragedy strikes like we prayed tonight. The economy's going down. Business owners are having a rough time and whatnot. But guess what? The Lord God is supreme over all of that. He's supreme over our economy. He's supreme over our trials, over our hardship, over our uncertainties. He is the solid rock. And as a, a pagan prostitute declared, how much more born-again children of the Most High God should declare, Lord, Father God, you are supreme over it all. No matter how it looks, no matter what it looks like, you are supreme. I believe we should make more declarations of faith like that. Amen? The next thing we see is that Rahab was brought out of her old life. She was brought out. Not only is she saved, but once Jericho fell, like I said, the spies came back and they kept their promise. So I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 6, five chapters later, in verse 23. They went in, like I said, Jericho marched. The walls collapsed. They went in started t killing everybody in the city except for Rahab. It said the men who had been spies went in, I love this, and brought out Rahab, her father, Mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. I love that. Not only does the Lord want to save us so we can go to heaven, he wants to free us and bring us out of the bondage of our old lifestyles. That's the blessing. That's one of the great blessings of radical redemption. 
is that not only do a lot of us like myself walk an aisle like this, I walk this exact aisle to this spot, you know, but he wants to free us and bring us out of our old life. I believe there's some true, genuine, hearted Christians that have made a declaration of faith and put their faith in Christ, but they're still living under the bondage of their old lifestyle. They've not allowed the Lord to completely bring them out of the whole, that old lifestyle. See, when, when they brought her out of that city, they saved her life, and we're going to see in a minute. But you know what? Yes, that city was destroyed, but that represented, you know, if you think about it, all her clientele, her business, all that as a prostitute was done. They brought her out. Not only did they save her physical life, but they brought her out. It's a great picture of God bringing us out. How many of us were in a state? For me, it was drugs and alcohol and depression and, and all kind of other, you know, uh, riotous living, as the Bible says. And I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't just save me and say, okay, you know, hold on until you get to heaven and keep dealing with all these different things. No, he wants to bring us out. If you got your Bible open or something, you might want to underline or highlight that phrase. If you're in the New Living Translation, I love it says they brought her out. Come on, has the Lord brought you out of your old life, of your old lifestyle? Has he freed you from the bondage that you were in before? And, you know, if, if he hasn't, maybe part of that is, is, is this next part. Not only was she brought out of that lifestyle, she now lived among God's people. Look what it says in, in, in Josh 6, Joshua 6.23. It's abbreviated in mine. That's why I called him Josh for short. Say it like we're on, you know, we're buddies and stuff. My boy Josh, you know. Joshua 6.23. They moved her whole family to a safe place, listen to that, near the camp of Israel. Another verse later on says that she lived amongst the Israelites for the rest of her life. And we know that because of the genealogy we just read. I'm going to get into more detail of that in a minute. But she lived, she was taken out of this sinful, pagan society that ultimately did get destroyed. But she was taken out of there and now she lives amongst God's people. Once the Lord saves us and brings us out of our old life, we must get connected and stay connected in the family of God. And I think that's part of why some people don't get totally delivered or freed or brought out of their old lifestyle. It's because they don't get connected with God's people, with the church. I know it was key for me. Once I got saved that night, you know, I, it, it, every time the doors are open, I was here. Because I still had people knocking on my door back home, offering me drugs and wanting to go out to the clubs. And you know what? I had to make sure that not only was my answer no, but I had somewhere else I can go besides that. And that was here. Or a life group right down the road. That's what's important about life groups is they had a life group every Thursday night. It was right down the road from church. So not only was I able to come to church on Wednesday and Sunday, right away, we called them cell groups back then. But I was able to get connected into a life group. And guess what? I not only got poured into, I got to learn. I was in, they had worship. They had an acoustic guitar and they would worship. And man, I'd sense the presence of God and, and I would learn. They would teach the Bible. And the big thing is I, I got discipled and I made new friends. They had other guys that liked to hang out and watch football, but you know what? They didn't drink and drug and, and go chase women at the games. We can just watch the game. And, you know, I, I found it's a lot funner to watch sporting events and do fun things when you're sober because you remember it the next day. You ever found that? You know, so you, it's important that not only 
must you allow God to bring you out, you got to get connected into the family of God. And you're here tonight, and that's great. But I just want to encourage you, if you're not connected in a life group, you know, if you're 40 and married, I want to encourage you to go to that connect night on Friday. But even further, get connected, all of us. We just, matter of fact, I didn't announce this. It's on the, we have a brand new website. If you didn't know that, tonight, after church, not right now, after church, Go to flchurch.net. We have a brand new website. Anna and our media team did a, a phenomenal job creating that site. You can go on our website, click on life groups, and you can see a whole list of all of the life groups that we have. The leader, where they meet, when they meet, what time, and whatnot. I want to encourage you to do that. That's a way that you get connected and you get planted. Listen, I love this scripture. Psalm 92 and verse 13. Psalm 92, 13 says this. For they are transplanted into the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Leave that up, Doug. Isn't that good? They are transplanted. So what that tells me is that we used to be planted in the world. Rahab was planted firmly in Jericho. Matter of fact, her house was actually built into the wall of Jericho. She was firmly planted. But guess what? She got transplanted. Even if she wanted to go back, she couldn't because the city's destroyed. For us, a lot of our old places aren't destroyed. We got to get, we got to get uprooted from the old life and the old, and the, the, the things of the world and get planted, transplanted into the house of God. And what happens when we do that? Look what it says. We flourish. Isn't that awesome? We flourish in the courts of our God. When you get transplanted, when you get connected into the family of God, into the people of God, that's where you flourish. That's where you get free. That's where you continue to get whole and get restored. Amen? So listen, the unusual mention of Rahab in, in Matthew's genealogy, along with some other women, that's why I said there's a few that pop out, and I just caught that uh, the, today as I was reading. It's, uh, it's unusual that a pagan prostitute is mentioned, but she's not the only one. She's one of five women, and four out of the five of the women that are mentioned in Matthew's genealogies had stained reputations as well. Tamar, Ruth. Bathsheba, several uh, of these were uh, Gentiles. You might think, what about Ruth? Ruth necessarily did anything wrong, but she was a Gentile. She wasn't, read the, if you read the book of Ruth, she wasn't a, a, she wasn't a God-fearing person at first. Uh, several which were Gentiles emphasize, this, listen, this whole thing emphasizes God's gracious acts of redeeming even those deemed unworthy to others. Let me say this again. This is the core of this message. Ruth and these other ladies emphasizes God's gracious acts of redeeming even those deemed unworthy to others. People may think that you're unworthy. God deems you worthy, worthy to redeem you. You know how worthy he is? You say, oh, we're unworthy. Well, God thought you were worthy enough that he would go to the cross and die for you. The father thought you were worthy enough to send his only son to die for you. We're not worthy in the sense of we did good works. We're worthy in the sense of that God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us, to redeem us from the futile ways of our forefather. I noticed there's an interesting thing as I, as I was reading through this story again this week. I noticed an interesting thing that popped out at me. I want to read Joshua 6, 23 again. It says this, the men who had been spies went in, and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives in there. Before that, she was known as Rahab the prostitute. When they brought her out, the first time she was referred to, it was just Rahab. He drops the word prostitute. 
Matthew also does the same thing. When Matthew mentions Rahab's name, he don't say Rahab the prostitute. He says the mother of, of Rahab. I think that's powerful. I just caught that this week. You know what? When we get saved, when we get redeemed, we have labels on us. We have labels of our old life that I know none of us. Does anybody like carrying around a shameful label? Absolutely not. But you know what? When we get saved, those labels don't have to stick on us anymore. They fall off. Just as Rahab, the prostitute, becomes Rahab. She becomes Rahab. He drops it. Like I said, Matthew says, Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Listen, you don't have to carry. Once the Lord has saved you and redeemed you, you don't have to carry those labels anymore. Those labels are burdensome. Aren't they? Aren't they burdensome to carry around a label of, of, of whatever it might be of not living up or, or not good enough or, or you know, uh, whatever, not worthy or, or, or just, you know, so many. I mean, I, a lot of us in this room, parents or teachers have spoken things. Oh, you'll never amount to anything. Or you're just, you know, in my case, you're just a pothead and a pillhead and, and, and all these different. You're going to be just like your brother. You're going to be just, are you going to end up this way and that way? Hey, y'all tracking with me? How many of have heard these labels? Maybe from people, maybe from parents. But this is the deal. Now watch this. Because at first I got excited. And I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. But then I noticed, wait a minute. Matthew doesn't label her as a prostitute. But if you keep reading, James and the writer of Hebrews, they do. Now, even though they're commending her, you know, Rahab, if you look, she's mentioned in what's called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. Hebrews 11, I believe it is. She's mentioned in there. The, the, uh, the apostle James mentions in her and condemns, uh, commends her, not condemns, commends her, gives her credit of how an awesome woman she was when she, because of what she did. And we'll read that later. So I begin to think about this. I'm like, man, I got all excited. It's like, man, the label is dropped. That's awesome. But why is some of these men of God still labor that way? And I just begin to think, you know what? Even though some, and we know the Lord has dropped those labels of the past off of us, some people, even Christians, will still try to keep that label on you. And especially the enemy, he'll be quick to bring that label back up to you. They'll st he'll still label you and remind you, you remember what you did back then, last week, last month, 20 years ago? Come on, am I talking to somebody here tonight? You've been saved for a long time. Come on, Regina, you've been saved a long time and you still hear that label. I'm that person. I'm that failure. I'm that sinner. I've come short. The enemy still brings that back to you. So we see in some places they drop the name. In other places, even though these men of God commend her a, a well-meaning thing, I think that's a good picture. We need to make sure we don't allow anyone, if we're born again, that we don't allow anyone, especially the enemy, to put any labels from the past on us. I'm so thankful that I don't have to walk around as Brandon the drug head anymore. That anybody can label me as a pothead or a pillhead or an alcoholic, whatever. They can try. And I'm just so thankful, you know. And, and, and again, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I just believe when we get saved and we get born again and we're redeemed, I'm no longer that person. The Bible makes it clear. And I know there's, there's, there's great groups that do that. They, they say that you have to admit who you, you know, your flaws or your disease. And, and y'all know what I'm talking about and admit that. And, but you know what? I'm not that. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. 
My name's Brandon, and I am redeemed by the blood of Christ. Amen? We don't need to keep those labels on us anymore. That is, the Bible says that we become new creations in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Amen? And this is cool. As we keep going forward, this is awesome. As you look at Rahab, you see the redemption and what happened. And she went from Jericho. She had declarations of faith. She hid the spies. She did she, her actions of faith, like I said. But, you know, the Lord's redemption can not only transform your life and my life, but the life of our children and our grandchildren as well. As you see, it began to change her whole genealogical line. Her descendants begin to change because of the redemption of the Lord. Let's look at some of Rahab's descendants again. Boaz, this made Rahab the mother-in-law of Ruth. There's a whole book in the Bible named after Ruth. Isn't that pretty cool? And you know what? Her son ended up marrying Ruth, and I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. There's a whole, if you haven't, I want to encourage you. King David. King David's one of her descendants. God himself said that David was a man after his own heart. Can you see the, the things changing in her life? King Solomon was known as the wisest man on the face of the earth besides Jesus. So there was Boaz, King David, King Solomon, and oh yeah, there was one more king. King Jesus. Our Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer comes through Rahab. Comes through this lady that was a prostitute, a pagan prostitute, but because she had faith in the Lord, she declared her faith, she acted on that faith, and, you know, she allowed the Lord to, to pull her out of that situation, get planted into the, the, the house of the Lord, into the people of God. Not only did her life radically change, she got radically saved, redeemed. Her whole ancestral line began to change all the way down to the Savior of the world. Isn't that amazing, y'all? Isn't that encouraging? It don't matter what you've done or who you think you still are or uh, live under the shame of, of, of what you've done before. Listen. If you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you are a new person. And the course of your life can and will change. So as we wrap this up, I just want to give you three things. How do we apply this in our life? How do we apply this in our lives? Well, first, you must know or really you must believe that you are redeemed. Again, it's not just knowing head knowledge. That's why I was praying that earlier. But it's believing. It's trusting. Like when the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I say it all the time. That word believe means to trust. Like you trust in a parachute if you jump out of a plane. So we must believe. You must believe that you are redeemed. It starts there. Not just because I tell you, you must trust and know that. First Peter 1.8, I want to read in the Amplified uh, Version because I like how it says it. It says, you must know, recognize. I love that. You must recognize that you, are, you were redeemed. You were you were ransomed from the useless, fruitless ways of living inherited by the tradition from your forefathers. Not with the corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah. Amen? Amen? We must believe and recognize that. I love it. It says that, that, that he redeemed us and, and ransomed us from the useless, fruitless ways of living, inherited from the traditions of our forefathers. So I don't know. It doesn't tell us how Rahab became a prostitute. Maybe her mom was a prostitute. Maybe, maybe she fall, fell on hard times. Maybe she learned it. It was a learned behavior from women in the, this pagan city. We don't know what happened. But whatever happened, she was redeemed and ransomed and transformed. Our lives are the same way. Again, you know, my ancestry 
was alcoholism, was addiction, was abuse, was divorce, was all of this stuff in my life. Praise God, I have been redeemed from all of those things. And you have been too. We see it. We, we know that it's, we know it as generational curses and, and whatnot, but we've been redeemed. Listen, I heard a, a simple definition recently that redeemed means to be restored back to its original state. That's what redemption means. So you know what that means? That you must believe and trust that the Lord is restoring you back to how he originally intended you to live. Come on, somebody. That's what redemption means. Is that, you know, God's original plan was for man to live in communion with him. Free and blessed living uh, 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 on this earth in communion with him. But through sin, we've been corrupted and all this stuff's happened. But thank the Lord for Jesus Christ. That through the cross, we can be redeemed, we can be restored back to the original intended state God wants us to live in. Amen? The second thing we must do is, is, is you need to ask the Lord to help you to change the way that you act. First, we must know and believe, but we must ask the Lord to help us change. And we do this through the fruits of the Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit began. This is part of what I talked about, about communion and about relationship with the Lord. That's how you begin to change. Listen, look, James 2.25, again, looking at Rahab, it says, Rahab the prostitute. See, this is what I was talking about, James. One of them. He says, is another example, but he gives her major credit. He says, she was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road again this is a good picture she was like because you asked well how do you know that she got right with God well James obviously says she was shown to be right with God because of what she did so that tells me when we get saved when we get redeemed our actions should change we should not act the same now we're not gonna totally change overnight we're not gonna you know be we'll never be perfect but the Bible makes it clear not, I mean, James says it happened with Rahab hundreds of years before, maybe thousands of years, whatever the case may be. John the Baptist says, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. All through the rest, Ephesians, Paul talks about that if we're Christians, in essence, we should, not in essence, but I'm saying in layman's terms, in Ephesians, he says that, you know, if we're saved, if we're redeemed, we should act differently than the world. Some people say that they're saved or you hear, man, I got saved and this and that. And I, I remember somebody telling me I got saved like six times and I still do this and this. I'm like, I don't think it took none of the six times because their lifestyle never changed. Their lifestyle. I'm not trying to be condemning or judging, but the Bible makes it clear that, you know what? Our actions should change. That's what the Bible means when, when he says that we are saved by grace. I mean, that that. Uh, Faith without works is dead. What he's saying, some people say, oh, well, you see, brother, you got to do works. No, no, no. What he's saying is that if you have faith, your actions and your works of what you do are going to change. And listen, that's not easy. I understand some things like the drugs and alcohol, like the, 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 some of that stuff went right out the window, like immediately. Other parts of it, it took a little longer. And I'm still, believe you me, ask my wife, I am a work in progress. She'll tell you that he got a lot more to go. We know that. We know everybody's, uh, you know, and I understand this. Everybody's at a different state in their sanctification process. Me, we say that all the time. I understand that. But your life should begin to change. Are you with me? Ask the Lord to help you change the way that you act. Now, listen, I had a paradigm shift here just recently in my life when I learned this. One of the best ways that, that we can ask the Lord to, to, to change 
the way that we act, when we know it's a sinful way, it's not pleasing to the Lord, is to do this. Ask something different. Ask. Don't ask nobody. You're going to murder them, okay? Ask. I'm trying to work on that, okay? My Cajun vernacular. Ask them, A-S-K. Ask the Lord, I mean. Lord, why do I act the way that I act? For years, I asked the Lord, I asked the Lord to take certain things away from me. As a Christian, born again, my attitude, my actions, things I was still doing. And, I, and somebody told me, hey, instead of asking the Lord to take it away, ask him to show you why you're acting that way. To get down to the root of why. What's motivating you to act that way? That's a game changer right there. Now, let me tell you, that makes the process a lot harder because it puts it on you. <laughs> Not all on you. The Lord will transform you, deliver you, but you have to go inside. Me and my brother were talking about this the other day. It makes you have to, you know, deal with a bunch of junk, maybe hurts and stuff from the past that, that cause you. Where did that come in at? Where did that attitude, that action, that mindset, where did that stronghold come in at? It, it makes you pray and look at and say, man, that's why I do the way I do. And when you find out why you do what you do, the Lord can come in. He can bring healing. He can show you some things you might need to forgive. You might need to release somebody. You might have some bitterness, and that's driving, say, anger or unforgiveness or different things. But begin to ask the Lord, why do I act the way I act? And when he shows you that, ask him to heal you, to begin to deliver you, and to help you change. To be really to be transformed. That's another thing I've learned recently is that, you know what? Somebody said that we can change on our own. Only God can transform us. More than change, we need to be transformed. Amen? That's what Romans 12, 2 says. And the last and final things, thing that I want to share with you tonight is that we need to teach our children the ways of the Lord. We need to teach our children. Again, not only is redemption powerful for us, transforming our lives, changing the course of our life, but we need to teach our children so it can continue to go down to our descendants as it did with Rahab. Psalm 78 uh, verses 4 through 6 says this. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation, listen, about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Let me stop right there. When the psalmist was writing this, he was talking about like the Red Sea and all of these different things. You apply this to your life today. Tell your children, you can tell them all, we teach them the Red Sea stories and all that stuff and Daniel and the lion's den, but tell them about the glorious deeds and the mighty powers and wonderful works that he's done in your life personally. You can tell them all the Bible stories that we need to teach them that is great. You can tell them about how the Lord, you know, delivered your neighbor and saved your coworker and did all that. But when you sit your children down and say, you know what, look what the Lord did in my life. I'll never forget the day that one of my kids, I said something about going to jail, and they were like, Daddy, you been to jail? I was like, I have. Like, when? They was thinking like last month or something. Like, no, 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 baby. This is before I knew Jesus. And I begin to share with them. I don't hide any of my past from my children. I say, you know what? And my wife and I, we sit down and say, yeah, Daddy didn't know the Lord back then. And I did drugs and alcohol, and I did a lot of bad things, and I broke the law. So the police officers arrested me and put me in jail. Praise God, I only spent one night in jail. But you know what? But I tell them that and say, but he delivered me by his glorious power and his mighty wonders. I'm a different person now. Daddy's up here preaching God's word now. I, how did that happen? All I can say is God's grace and radical redemption. 
For he issued, let me pick back up. For he issued his laws to Jacob and gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. Listen, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So you see what happens? We, first, we got to live by example, but we teach our children, and he says our children's children will continue to go on. Man, I tell you what, that sounds like legacy to me. I want to leave a legacy with my children and our descendants. Amen? Listen to this. Go back to Rahab. So Rahab married Solomon, and they had Boaz. We see that the way that Boaz treated Ruth. If you're not familiar with the story, I encourage you, go read the book of Ruth. It's very short, four chapters. It's a short read. You can read it in probably 10, 15 minutes. You see how this man Boaz treated Ruth. I mean, oh, there's so much good stuff in there and how we've been taught as men. And, and, and that's a great teaching about to cover our wives. And there's a great example of that, how, how Ruth said, cover me. And he, he, covered, he was the... This thing goes, there's such a great teaching. This can spin off from this because Boaz was actually known as the family redeemer. That's a whole nother, oh man, that's, I feel the Holy Ghost just saying that. If you, I don't have time to get into all that, but another great picture there, he redeemed Ruth and, and as she was in a hard time and lost her husband, but he treated her like a queen. He took her in, he married her, he covered her. And, and where did he learn that from? His mother used to be a prostitute. How did this man learn how to treat a woman in such a great way? She was redeemed. She married a man of God, and they obviously taught their son how to treat a lady. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? So we need to teach our children the ways of the Lord. Go ahead and stand with me, please. One more thing, one more scripture as we close. Hebrews 9, 12 says this, with his own blood, speaking of Jesus, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Would you go ahead and bow your heads with me, close your eyes. It says that he secured our redemption forever. That means eternity. That's speaking of salvation. Like I said, that's where it begins. He doesn't just redeem us to save us and go to heaven. We talked tonight about everything else he wants to do. But that's where it starts. Have you accepted the redemption of the Lord? Remember, redemption means to restore back to his original state. When God created you, long before, when he had you in his mind to create you, let me say it that way, long before the foundations of the earth was ever laid, he had a plan and a destiny for your life. We see that in Jeremiah where he says, when I, before I even formed you in your mother's room, I knew you and I set you apart. I called you as a prophet to the nation. He has set each and every one of us apart with a destiny. But some of us, for years, myself, for 24 years, wasn't nowhere close to that destiny because I was on a path of ruin instead of redemption. But then I met the Lord on a Wednesday night, just like tonight, right here at this spot. I can go stand in almost the exact spot where I accepted the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my life, the course of my life, my family, and my eternity changed. Many of us in here can say the same. Whatever head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, you know what? I'm living on a path of ruin. I feel like I'm on a path of destruction. I have not accepted this redemption. 
Basically, forgiveness. Let me break it down simpler. Jesus came because he loved you and he died on the cross. And we broke God's laws. And for that, we should spend eternity, we will spend eternity separated from God unless we ask the Lord to forgive us and we make him our Lord and Savior. And he will deliver us. He will save us and free us from the bondage of our old lifestyle. And we will live in eternity for him. If you say, Brandon, that's me. I don't, I, maybe you don't even quite understand everything I talked about, but your heart might be beating fast. You might be thinking, man, I'm, I feel like my life's on a path of destruction. And if I die tonight, and like that, that, this tragedy that happened, two young people tragically lost their lives. One was going to go to graduate tonight. He was planning to graduate and instead his life was snuffed out because of a car accident. What if that was you in that car? I'm not trying to scare you. I just, I love you enough to, to, to present the truth. What if that was you? Would you, be, would, would you be able to say, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? Or if you were like me many years ago and said, man, I don't know where I'd go if I die. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand and say, Brandon, I want to get right with God. I want to make sure. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, I need to get right with the Lord. I want to accept his forgiveness his salvation, and his redemption. I see your hand. I see two, two, both of your hands right now. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God for these ladies right here. That Come on, I want to give a minute. This is, this is a special time. Come on, with these two ladies with their hands raised. Ladies, we're going to all pray with y'all. And if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, I want you to pray this prayer with me, and we're going to all pray with you. Just pray this from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus... I know that I'm a sinner. I thank you for dying for me. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I thank you that you love me so much that you had a plan to redeem me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, for, for, for healing me, and getting me on the right path of redemption. Now, Lord Jesus, give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. Help me, Lord, to love you back. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless y'all, ladies. Hey, y'all, do me a favor. Before y'all leave, my wife and I, she's going to come down here. We'd love to meet y'all. We have a gift for y'all. I want to get y'all going, okay? Awesome. Before we leave, one more thing. One more thing. Cass, if you want to go ahead and make your way down here, please, sweetie. Um, one more thing before we leave. As Christians, I assume the rest of us now in here are born-again Christians. Have you been walking around with labels on you from years ago? Maybe months, but maybe years ago that have weighed you down. You've maybe allowed people, maybe allowed the enemy himself to continue to put a label on you that Jesus died to remove from you. If that's you tonight, as we close, I'm going to close in a minute. Please don't leave without you coming down here and let one of us pray with you. That's a stronghold from the enemy. And I believe the Lord wants to set you free and break that off of your life tonight. I believe it ends tonight. Amen, church? Come on, we want to stand with you. If you know, you, you know, as I've been speaking, a lot of y'all were shaking your heads. I want you to come down here and I want you to have one of us, the pastors or an altar worker, to stand and pray with you and just to talk with you and, and, and to, to, so you can leave free and walk in 
the redemption that was purchased over 2,000 years ago on that cross. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, I thank you for these, these precious ladies, Lord, that have surrendered their lives to you. I just pray that you would pour out and that they would experience your love, your peace, your grace, and your presence like never before, Lord God. Give them grace to continue to walk with you and serve you. And, Father, I pray for every other person in here tonight that has been walking around and have allowed people or the enemy or, or maybe subconsciously kept the labels on themselves, Lord God. And that, Lord, tonight I pray you would set them free from every label from the past, that they would walk in the freedom of the radical redemption that you have purchased for them. In Jesus Christ's wonderful name, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless y'all. Y'all have a wonderful evening. Again, if you need prayer regarding this or anything else, please don't leave. Come down and we'd love to pray with you. Have a great evening.